wasn't sure if she was one of the ones that was sick. Pray for our teens. Apparently, several of them are sick, home with fevers and vomiting. And so God, God is good, and Satan is, does not like what he's been doing. And uh, so he's, he's trying to discourage us. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we have a God who, who uh, can work through all that. But uh, be praying for them. I did want to mention this. Uh, Brother Dan had mentioned October 9th, we have a missionary to Israel who's coming through here. Uh, they, they've been in Israel for years and uh, serving the Lord there. They're back on furlough, and they, they'll be in the area at some other like-minded churches, and uh, they were just, they're looking for some place to, to, to share their ministry with, so they're coming here. And it's good for us to remember our missionaries, amen, and to learn about all those that, that are being reached uh, for Christ. And uh, so that, it's a good thing. Be here for that. I, uh, I, and, uh, but I also want to let you know, on the second, I don't think I saw a slide for this, on the second, um, uh, we have, we have uh, uh, one of our own missionaries that we've been supporting for years, Corey McDonald and his family. Uh, we picked them up uh, five, four or five years ago. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're missionaries in Africa. Uh, he and his family uh, have been... Corey McDonald? I messaged you a while back. But it's a, no, no worries about it. It's been a really busy week. Don't, no, nobody give her any angry looks. It's been a, she's been busy getting everything ready. Uh, Corey McDonald and his family, uh, he came up and uh, preached for one of our mission conferences several years ago. I believe one of the first ones that we had, and uh, we picked him up as a missionary. And he's been over there serving uh, with his family uh, for years, but his family wasn't able to come with him. And uh, he's back on furlough, and he reached out to me and said, hey, could we come to your church? I'd like to introduce my family to you guys. So uh, they'll be coming. They'll be uh, showing what God's been doing uh, with them there in, um, in, in Africa. And uh, I believe they're in Kenya is where they're at. Uh, but but uh, come and be a part of that. Uh, uh, it's an encouragement to our missionaries to come back and see God working here. And uh, I, I, I can guarantee you, uh, you will be blessed uh, as, we meet with, uh, as we meet with him and meet with the Lord and see what God is doing there. All right, take your Bibles and turn to, uh, we're going to turn to a couple different places. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Uh, we have been looking at, uh, we have been looking at the rebuilding of, of the altar and what uh, the Lord laid this upon my heart a, a while back. And it's funny how God works. We, we started this, uh, this series uh, two or three weeks before uh, we, we had a revival. And the revival service in the Threns. I did not tell Brother Thren what to preach. Uh, he prayed, and the Lord laid on his heart what he's to preach. But we began to preach, or I began to preach, on uh, rebuilding the altar. First Kings chapter 18, uh, Elijah, as he, as he had that victory on, uh, on Mount Carmel, uh, the fire fell from heaven, and, and uh, as they prayed, and uh, they, they, they had victory over the prophets of Baal who prayed to their God, and he didn't hear. And, but something that had to take place before Elijah could have that victory. Uh, if you remember, if you remember, uh, the Bible says that he had to rebuild the altar of the Lord. And now this, we, we talked about how, how when things are neglected, uh, when things are left alone, or, 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 or that, that they tend to fall apart. Uh, if you neglect your house, what happens? It falls apart. If you neglect your car, if you, if you, if you, uh, if you just go park it out in your driveway and you don't drive it for a while, it begins to fall apart. The, the, t the tires, the rubber on the tires will, will dry out and break down and you'll have flat tires and uh, you'll try to start it, but the battery will be dead and mice will have eaten the wires and there'll be all kinds of things that happen because you neglected your car. 
And, and uh, so we started this out a couple of weeks ago, looking at the fact that, uh, that the Lord laid this on my heart, that the altar of God has been neglected. It's not something that happens in a day or, or, or in a couple of days or a week. It's something that takes place over a period of years. And what happens is many times is we, we, it starts out as one day and then a second day. And then before we know it, we're, we're sitting there realizing that, that we've not visited the altar. Now, Last, not sun, last Sunday, but the Sunday before that, we, we talked about the altar of praise. The altars are, were, were meant for, or were used in different ways. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, we're going to, look at the, we're going to start looking at this morning, uh, Noah builds an altar. Uh, they had gotten off the ark, and God has protected them and saved them uh, from the, 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 uh, the uh, flood that took place. And, and they immediately, after coming off the ark, they didn't build a house. They didn't, build a, uh, they didn't look for, for clean water. They didn't... Uh, but they didn't do anything other than this. They built an altar and they worshiped God there. They were praised God for what he had done. And, and the Bible tells us this, uh, uh, that we're to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his uh, gates with praise. I think I got those mixed up. It's gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. But we're, we're to enter into the presence of God with praise. And, and there is to be an altar of praise in our life. And man, if we lack praise, uh, I believe it's, it will hinder our worship. I believe it will hinder our walk with the Lord, because our praise pleases God. In fact, we read that today. It says that in, in Psalm chapter 1, 147, that praise is comely. It's beautiful. It's pleasing unto God when we praise the Lord. In fact, the Bible also tells us this, that God inhabits our praise, meaning uh, uh, when, when, the, the, he, when we're praising God, that he comes down. Now, I don't mean that the place is going to fill with smoke and we're all going to start acting funny or weird, but the presence of God can meet with us. I believe this last week uh, uh, that, that God met with us, not just in the preaching of the word, but in the, the music that was sung. Uh, the, the, the friends, family sang the Behold Our God. And listen, the, the music that we sing, the songs that we choose, they're to focus our hearts and our minds upon God. We don't do it for entertainment purposes because nobody wants to listen to me sing. I'm okay with that. I'm guessing nobody wants to listen to you sing either. None of us are, even if we did, it's not for entertainment purposes. We sing before the Lord because we want to honor and glorify him. We want to praise his name and please him. And as we focus our hearts and minds upon God, upon the nature of God and the goodness of God, upon the works of God, it should automatically stir up a, a heart of praise. When you think about how God saved you, when, how God took you from, from the sin that was in your life and, and sent his son to die on the cross, you begin to think of the love of God and the work of Christ on the cross and the sacrifice. Man, that should stir up a gratefulness and a thankfulness in your heart that you just want to lift up your voice and praise God because he's worthy of it. I have a feeling that Noah was pretty excited when he got out that ark, stepped foot on dry ground. The, 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 the ark wasn't rocking back and forth anymore, and he wasn't living in a place that, that smelled like animals, and he was on dry ground, and God had pr protected and taken care of him. So the altar is a, is a place of praise. And as we go forward in this study, we're going to see that the altars are a place of sacrifice. And the altars are a place of, 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 uh, of the promises of God. It's amazing that as many times I look at these altars, you, you, they're, they're tied in with the promises of God. Uh, as God gave them a promise that there was an altar there. But, but ultimately, it all comes down to this. And this is what amazed me this last week. Because Brother Mark preached on Leviticus. And if you've ever read Leviticus, it's really dry. But there's a lot of great truth in there. 
And what he did was he looked at, at, at how they got, called, or got told them to, to do the different sacrifices and what those sacrifices were for and the, the different feasts and what the feasts were a reminder of. And it all came down to this. This was the central theme of our revival. And it wasn't planned. In fact, Brother Mark didn't even think about it until the very end. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. In the very beginning, when God created man in the garden, he created them for fellowship. He walked with them. He talked. We sing, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. Right? And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses that voice is God. We sing that song, but we don't think about what it's really talking about. And we need to be careful as we praise God that we're really paying attention to what we're saying. Because uh, Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 that God wants us to, be, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And Well, if I just tell you, you, you look good today just because it's a nice thing to say, that's not truth. Now, that doesn't mean I should walk around telling people they're ugly either. But God wants to hear the truth from us. God wants to hear, him, hear us speak his praises. But as I looked at this, not only do I see God's, God's the, the promises of God in here and the, the praises of God and, 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 and uh, repentance as I studied these out, there is a, a resounding theme all throughout this, and it goes right along with Brother Mark was preaching, the presence of God. The presence of God. We see it here in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. It says this, And Noah built an altar, unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite again smite any more every living thing, as I have done, while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease." Noah built a, 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 an altar and sacrificed upon that altar. And that sacrifice was a sweet-smelling savor to God. God, God noticed. God was, was drawn to it. Why? Because that altar had to do with the presence of God. Look with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter 12. We'll just turn over a couple chapters. Verse number 6, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Verse number 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Another promise. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Uh, he, he pa- you have to remember who Abram is, and uh, uh, we know him later as Abraham, but he was, he was called of God to leave uh, his, his, his home, his, uh, where he lived with his father. When his father died, God called them from there into the land of the Canaanites and said, I will give you this land. And here in verse 20, he says, the Lord appeared unto Abram as he's in that land and said unto him, thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar. God spoke to Abram. God revealed to him his promises. God's presence was there, and he built an altar. Now, what is an altar for? It's an altar of sacrifice. It's a way that we can give our offerings unto the Lord. It's a place that we, that we, can, that we can go and pray. It's a, at times, it's, a, it's a, a monument or a memorial. We see another instance of this in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Here you have uh, Abram's grandson, Jacob. 
Now, it's, as, as, if you follow through the word altar throughout the Bible, you see that there are many altars that were built, uh, and, uh, but, but uh, there, there is a common theme. As God spoke to them or as God moved, they built an altar. Here in Genesis chapter 28, look at verse number 10. It says this, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went unto, toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. You have to remember he's leaving home because he had tricked his brother and tricked his father and stolen the birthright and stolen the blessing. And his brother hated his guts and he wanted to kill him. And his, and his mother, who loved him more than she loved her brother, or loved his brother, said, you need to get out of here and go home to my family and, they'll, and, and you'll be safe. So he, he left there in verse, verse number 10, verse 11, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached the heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the, the land whereon thou liest to thee, I will give it and to thy seed. Uh, here he is, he's traveled, it's, he's gotten to a certain place, uh, it's given dark and he's 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 made himself a bed for the night to sleep till the morning he's he's used a pillow for a, a a rock for a pillow i don't know about you but that does not sound comfortable to me i don't think i could get into a, a deep a sleep deep enough to dream if with my head on a rock but back then they didn't have tempurpedic so maybe uh, it's just that we're just we've gotten soft and cushy i don't know anyways uh, so as he's sleeping he has a dream or a vision god reveals himself listen it's not just your dream a dream you have because you ate pizza too late at night uh, this is a, a dream that god gave him because in this dream god speaks to him he sees the angels ascending and descending this ladder uh, he, they, they, he sees the presence of god there and god says i am the god of thy father abraham and of thy father isaac he said i am the one who gave them the promise that this land was going to be theirs and listen i'm giving you the same promise and what a blessing that is Can you imagine being isaac uh, uh, uh being sorry being jacob the, the, the one who was a deceiver right he was a thief he was a liar and god said i choose you god's grace is amazing isn't it Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Uh, uh, my son, uh, my son, uh, uh, during our, our family Bible time last night, my son Ezekiel said, Dad, have you ever sinned really big? Yeah. He says, tell me about it. I said, no. I'm ashamed of it. Another comes a time later when, when he's wrestling with, when Jacob is wrestling with God. And God says, what is your name? You remember when he lied to his father. He said, my name is Esau. He says, are you sure? Because I feel this, the, the hair of your brother Esau, but you sound an awful lot like my son Jacob. He said, no, no, it's me, Dad. Esau, don't you remember? He lied about his name. He was confronted with that later, but, but here God, God says to him, the promise that I gave Abraham and the promise that I gave your father Isaac, I'm giving that to you. Now what happens next here in these verses? Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. And the seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The same promise God gave to Abraham. And behold, I am with thee. That is a promise. Wow. And I will keep thee. 
in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God says, listen, I am going to be with you. I am going to keep you. I am going to protect you. I am going to lead you. I am going to guide you. You are going to come back to this land. And listen, I am going to finish or fulfill the promise that I have given to you. Verse 16, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had for his pillow, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I, that I go and will keep me, give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. On all that thou, hast, all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So that's not an altar, that's a pillar. Well, in, in, in Genesis chapter 36, he did the same thing uh, at another time after he wrestled with, uh, with God. And he set up another pillar and he poured more oil on it. He said he did that as a sacrifice. Remember, altars are a place of sacrifice. So, so here he is. He's, he's, he, God has revealed himself to him. Uh, he's, God has given him another promise. And he's built himself an altar, a place actually where he comes back later on in his life. Just like Abraham did when he came back to Bethel. After he spent time in Egypt, he came back to the place where he had built the altar. You see, he himself called it, this is the house of God. In fact, that's what, me, what Bethel means, the house of God. Later on, he builds another, another uh, altar, and he calls it, he calls it the, the God of the house of God. But there's a phrase in here that caught my attention. Brother Mark actually used it this week as well. We see it in verse 16. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the, this is the place, oh, sorry, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Now you have to remember Jake, who God is. Let's stop and think about who God is for a moment. God is not a creation of man, God is not limited uh, as we are limited. My mind is finite. What that means is there are limits to my mind. And everybody that knows me says, yes, that is true. Right? There are limits to your mind too. You do not have all knowledge. Uh, uh, the Bible, we call that omniscience. You, uh, you don't have that. Your knowledge is limited. My knowledge is limited. But guess what? Whose knowledge is not limited? God. God knows all things. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In fact, I cannot even comprehend just the number of thoughts that he has for me let alone everything else. We have an amazing God. Not only does God know everything, God is everywhere. Now, let's put this in perspective. There are those that say they worship the trees, and they, they like to worship the, the trees and the creation because God is just everywhere, and God is in everything. That is not true. That is heresy. He is the creator of those things. He had his hand in their creation. We look up at the heavens and we see the, the stars, and we don't declare the glory of the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. But the Bible tells us, in the book of Psalms, 
In fact, turn there with me if you would. Psalms chapter 139. While God is everywhere, he is not in everything. But here we see in Psalms chapter 139, look at verse 8. Now, let's go up to, yes, verse 8. Verse number 7, actually. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? This is, this is David uh, speaking about God. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold... Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light upon me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto me. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Uh, and that my soul knoweth the right well. You know what David's saying here? He says, listen, I can go as far as I can go, and God, you're there. There is nowhere that I can get to be uh, that is not in the presence of an almighty God, because he is everywhere. Think of Jonah. God said, jo Jonah, I want you to go to the, to the people of Nineveh. I want you to preach the gospel. And Jonah says, I don't like the people of Nineveh. They are wicked. They are terrible people. I hate the people of Nineveh. Instead of going to Nineveh, I'm going to go get on a ship and go the opposite direction to Tarshish. And he got on that ship, and God was there. And he may have thought he was safe, but once the boat started rocking and the storm started raising up, he understood why he was there. They, they said, hey, you should pray to your God. He says, actually, I'm the reason this is all happening. You'd be better off if you just threw me in the water. And listen, they did. They listened to him. They, they threw him in the water, and a whale swallowed him whole. And he went all the way down deep in the ocean because whales swim deep. And guess what? God was there too. Because God is everywhere. We cannot get out of, uh, get away from the presence of God. And now, uh, while, while, while we are always in the presence of God because he is omnipresent, what did Isaac say? This is the house of God but I knew it not. The Bible says this, where two or three are gathered in my name, behold, I am there. Did you know that with, if, you're, if you are a child of God, if you have been gloriously saved by the, the, the glorious gospel, uh, the Bible tells us that, that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. He is always there. But sometimes... While God is always here in our presence as we come together just to worship, while God is with us wherever we go because he indwells us, sometimes we live like we know it not. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 33. Now here we don't see an altar, but there is a principle here that goes right along with, with what this... That I, that we, I believe we need to see. This will be our text where we'll spend most of the rest of, our, of the message. But Genesis chapter 33, we find, and we'll start reading in verse number, verse number 8. We find eight, uh, Moses here, and he's in the presence of God. Verse number 8 says, 
And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. Verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. I... I'm so thankful that we have a God who will speak to us, not just face-to-face as a friend, but as a child of God. He speaks to us as a son, as a daughter. Uh, But uh, let's continue on. As he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, verse uh, again, verse 11, uh, departed not out of the tabernacle. Verse 12, and Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, that thou hast not let me know when thou wilt send me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace and and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And look at verse 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. If, my presence go, if thy presence go not up with me, carry us not hence. Now, this is a conversation between Moses and God. God is speaking to him face-to-face as a friend with a friend, and, and God is telling him some things. But we need to understand the context of this. Uh, uh, we, under, we need to understand why, he's, why Moses is saying, listen, you said I found grace in your sight, but I don't know the way we're going to go. You, uh, you, you're saying that you're going to go with me. But in the previous verses that we didn't read on purpose, God says, I will not go with you. Says, I'll send an angel. Now, what's happened? Listen, we know that the people of Israel are God's chosen people. Amen. God, God, God used them to 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 produce for us the Savior. But God blessed them and called them out, and they were to be a peculiar people unto Him uh, uh, in in those Old Testament times. Uh, but we know they weren't always perfect. We know there was a period of time where they spent four hundred years in 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 uh, uh, in Egypt as slaves, and God brought them out of Egypt. Correct? Gloriously brought them out of Egypt. Uh, he, he rescued them from Pharaoh and, and his armies. Uh, uh, he, there, there were plagues. Uh, there, was, uh, there, was, uh, there was all kinds of, uh, there were ten plagues that happened in, in Egypt, and God brought them out. And then God led them across uh, the Red Sea uh, as Pharaoh was at their back trying to kill them all. And God protected them with the cloud, a pillar of cloud, and, and, and they, they walked across on dry ground in what was previously a sea. And not a long time previously, but, you know, they watched it separate. Man, what a mighty works God did. And as they, they got across it and they looked back, they saw Pharaoh's army chasing him. And what happened? We know what happens. The Bible says the sea closed in on them and Pharaoh's armies all drowned. God protected them. God watched over them. They, they crossed the Red Sea. They went from there to a place called Marah. Uh, where God tested them, God, God tried them. There was, they were thirsty. They'd been traveling for a, a period of time, and they were looking for water. And they, they began to murmur and complain and said, God just brought us out here to die. I don't know why you did that. I, I'd just rather, rather be back there in Egypt in that slavery and all those good things that they had to offer. And they complained to Moses, and Moses prayed, and God turned the bitter waters sweet. Later on, God had Moses strike a rock and bring forth water. Uh, Again, later on, he had Moses speak to a rock, and Moses struck the rock a second time and was cursed for it, but God provided for them. God watched over them. God took care of them. God led them. 
He's brought them now to, to Mount Horeb here is where, where we're at, and, and he's revealed himself to them. And, and, but, but something's happened. God called Moses up in chapter 20, uh, 32 uh, to, to give to him the law of Moses on Mount Horeb. We call it the Ten Commandments. Uh, right? The law of God was given to Moses, and, and there, there were certain things that they were to abide by. It was, it was the rules or the, the law which they were to live, which the Bible tells us is, a, is a, a, a schoolmaster. It teaches us that we all fall short of the glory of God. But while the, he was gone, it wasn't, it wasn't a day, it wasn't a week, it was 40 days he was up there. And the people got restless. Now, the, remember, they had seen the plagues. They had seen the miracles of God. They had seen the provision of God. They had seen the protection of God. They had seen all that God had done while he was in the presence. But Moses was gone for 40 days, and they went to Aaron and said, Listen, we're not going to sit here and wait too much longer. It is time for us to go. It's time for us to, you know what, Aaron, we want you to, to build us another God to worship. And Aaron said, Okay. Bring me all your gold, all your earrings, all those things. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll melt them down. They, and that's exactly what they did. They melted down those earrings. They, they melted down the gold that was brought to them. And they, 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 they made a molten calf for them to worship. And they, they began to worship. And they began to dance. And they began to sing. And they, uh, all the sexually lewd acts that, were, that were, were performed on that day. And God was up there on Mount Horeb with, with Moses. And he got angry. Because his chosen people were sinning against him. That God wanted to destroy the people of Israel. The Bible says that Moses stood in the gap, that he prayed for them. And God repented of that. He changed his mind. He did not destroy them. But there was judgment that was going to come, and he sends Moses down there. This is what's happened just prior to this. The people are, are terrified now. Uh, uh, they, they, he told them to, to cast off their ornaments, their finery. The, the, they were all dressed up for a party, all dressed up for the worship. God says, no, 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 it's time to, to, to cast off those things. It's time to mourn for your sin. It's time to, 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 to realize that what you did was wrong, and they, they did those things. And now Moses is going to the tabernacle outside of the congregation because God didn't want to be in the midst of a sinful people. You know that sin will break your fellowship with God? Sin breaks our fellowship with God. We can only have fellowship through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are reconciled by God, or by, by him unto God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he made that reconciliation. You and I were sinners, and we were born sinners. We, we, we sin because we're sinners by, by nature and by act. We're sinners, and, and we fall short of the glory of God. And God is not just a loving God. He's a holy God, and he's got to judge our sinfulness, and he did that on the cross. I love the verse in Isaiah chapter 53 that he saw the agony of his spirit, speaking of Christ, and his wrath was satisfied. Through Christ, we can be reconciled back to God. I mean, we can have fellowship. First John tells us that, 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 that they're explaining, they taught the gospel uh, to, to us so that we could have fellowship with them, but, but really our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, and through that fellowship we have fullness of joy. Man, what a blessing that we can have fellowship with God. That we, can, that we can meet with God and God can speak to us. But here the people of Israel, God is outside of the camp. There's, there's judgment awaiting them. And, and, and God is, there's a problem. God has an offer for them that we haven't read about. Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, depart and go up hence. Thou and the people which thou hast brought, me up, brought up out of the land of Egypt, and the land which I swear unto Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee. And I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. 
for I will not go up into the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, a prideful, a, a, a hard-hearted people, is what, what that means, lest I consume thee in the way. Now remember the, the promise given to, to Isaac. Remember the promise given to Jacob. Remember the promise given to Abraham. This, this will be yours. This is your inheritance. This is your portion. And I will be your God. That was a promise made of God. He said he would fulfill it. And here what, right here what he's saying is, listen, I'm going to fulfill my promise, but I won't go with you. I'll send an angel. An angel will go forward. He'll chase out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all the ites. They're all going to be gone. You can go in there. You can, you, can, you can live in the land that I promised you. I will keep my promise. But I'm not going to go with you. That's a problem. And Abraham notices this. He says, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't send us. See, one of the problems was, listen, so many people, and probably most of those Israelites would have been happy to go into the promised land to, to receive the blessings, to receive the, protect, the protection of the angels, to receive the, 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 their portion, their land, the, their inheritance, all those things that God, they would have been happy to go in and not have God there. How many Christians are happy to live their life as long as everything's good as long as everything's going well, they don't really care if the presence of God is in their life. This is, a, uh, this is the burden upon my heart. We have gotten so used to living our lives in the plenty. Listen, we live in America. We are blessed beyond measure. There, we, have, we have food on our table. We have, we have, even the poorest in America are better than, off than much of the world. And we're happy to live in our, our plenteous, abundant, abundant, abounding lives just the way we are. And we've done so for so long that it's become normal for us. It's become normal for people to go to church, to sing their songs, to, 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 uh, to hear, hear a message, to go home, and nothing ever changes in their hearts. It's, it's become normal for us to, to, to spend our day struggling to get five minutes in the Bible and maybe five minutes in prayer and thinking that's normal. While we'll spend hours and hours on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media apps there are or, or whether it's uh, hours and hours on television or hours and hours doing anything and we struggle for our five minutes in the Word and five minutes in prayer. We find that normal. And it is normal for the world. The, the world doesn't, has never experienced the, 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 the presence of God. They never have. Because they're still at enmity or war with God because their sins have not been reconciled because they've not by faith trusted in Christ. But we're supposed to be different from the world. Our lives are supposed to be different. Uh, our strength is to come from a different source, right? Uh, we're to be led by a different, uh, by a different guide, and not our conscience, not our desires, not our flesh, but the Spirit of God. And we get so used to, 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 to living the life that we live that we forget that this is not what it's supposed to be like. God saved us to live abundant, fruitful lives. 
in First Peter, I believe it's Second Peter actually, chapter one, talks about adding uh, adding to our faith, virtue, and uh, th- there's a list of things, and we'll, at some point we're gonna I'll preach a message on that. But at the end of this, uh, that that passage that says that those that have neglected to add to their faith, listen, it's our faith that saves us, it says that they have forgotten that they were purged from their old sins and they have become barren, which means worthless and unfruitful. There are a lot of people that are saved that are unfruitful and are barren in their Christian lives and they think it's normal and they're comfortable with it and they're okay with it. As long as everything's good and copacetic and, and, and my bills are paid and there's food on the table, I got clothes my, and, and I got my Netflix, I'm happy. That's not what we're saved for. Let's look, go back to Genesis chapter 33. God said in verse 3, I will not go up into the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. God will not be in the midst of a sinful life. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you are saved, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Praise God, he does not leave us. But the Bible says this, that we can quench the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, Meaning, uh, instead of yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit, instead of being filled with the Spirit, he's relegated to the small little nook of our life and say, I'm saved, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm going to do things my way. Listen, this isn't easy to say. It's not easy to live. But I want you to understand, this is not what God has saved us for. He saved us for fellowship with him. There is no greater joy than fellowship with God. To to be in the word and to be in prayer, to, 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 to meet with God. Listen, I'm not saying you have to sit in your house with your Bible for 16 hours a day and read through it. That's... Nobody has that kind of time, and, and God doesn't require that of anybody, but does say that we're to pray without ceasing. We're to have a heart set and a mindset of prayer that throughout the day, listen, we are so abundantly uh, attacked on all sides by sound and by, by, by video, and, uh, listen, that we don't have time for anything else. God convicted me of this. I, I, I like to listen to, to, to preaching in the car. I like to listen to, 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 to sometimes songs in the car. I used to listen to talk radio all the time. There always has to be some kind of noise. There can never be silence. Well, guess what? It, it, with all that noise, you never hear the voice of God. God wants to speak to us. God wants us to speak to him. God wants to open our eyes to the truths of the Word of God. The Bible says in, in Psalm chapter 1, uh, Blessed is the man that, that walketh not in the, in the counsel of the godly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his light doth he meditate day and night. We're to spend our time, spend our, our, our free time meditating upon the Word of God. I was talking to Ezra about this earlier this week, and I asked him if he knew what meditate meant, and he, he said no. I, I said, well, it's, it's kind of like a cow. Uh, most of you have probably already heard this, but uh, how a cow eats versus how we eat. The, the Word of God is, is to be more, than, or more desired than our necessary food. When we eat, we chew up and we swallow, but when a cow eats, it's different. They don't have one stomach. They have seven. Marge is already getting ready to cover years because she doesn't like the, the word that's coming up next. But, but uh, So what they do is they, they, they go out there in the pasture, they graze from the pasture, they chew on their, the, the, that grass for a little while, and they swallow it. And then Marge cover years, they puke it back up into their mouth. And they chew it some more. And they swallow it. You ever seen the cow in the field going? 
They're chewing their cud. It's uh, seven times that food goes up and down till they get all the nutrients that are out of it. Every last bit. As Christians, we're to do the same thing. Read a passage of Scripture. Read as much as the Lord allows us to and leads us to, and then we meditate upon those things that he speaks. Lord, what do you mean by this? How can I apply this to my life? And just meditate. And I, you'd be surprised how much, as you meditate, God opens your heart to the truth because God is speaking to you through the Word and through the Spirit. But if you're always listening to something else, if you're always watching something else, if you're always doing something else, we never get to hear what God has for us. We get used to it. and We think that's how life is supposed to be. And I'm here to tell you that that is not how life is supposed to be. Now notice, God says, I will not go up with thee. Why? Because of their sin. There needed to be a repentance for their sin. In the previous chapter, there was. The... Uh, God said, you need to choose whose, whose side are you, going, are you on the Lord's side? And the priests of Aaron came across, and God judged many of the others. Many of them were killed instantly. The rest, uh, Moses ground up that golden calf that they had made, and they put it in the water, and they were made to drink the water. There was, there was, there was punishment there, but there was a reconciliation. Here, God says, I will not go up with you. But Moses stood in the gap here again, and he prayed, and, said, and, he, and he reasons with the Lord, he talks with the Lord, and and and. God ultimately says, I will go up with thee. But I like Moses' heart. Moses had a hunger to be in the presence of God. He said, Lord, you said I have grace in your, I found grace in your sight. Lord, you've, you've said that you'll do this, but if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to go with us, then don't, don't send us. He, he would rather never enter into the promised land than not go in the presence of God. He had such a hunger, he had such a desire that, 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 that he understood how, how much of a necessity it was for him to go in the presence of God. Do you have that hunger in your life? Do you have that hunger that you, that you listen, I, I'm willing to sell it all aside. God, I, I just need you. God, I need, I need you to work in my life. I need you to speak to me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to lead me. Because the presence of God does a few things for us. We see it here. He says, verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses and said, Face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again to the camp, and the servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out from the tabernacle. Verse 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know where thou wilt send me. Yet thou hast said, I, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now, the way. Did you remember as they went through the wilderness, there was something that led them. Pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. That pillar was, a, was, was the presence of God. Moses didn't know where to go. Moses didn't know, know where to camp. Or, uh, uh, remember, he, uh, here he is. He was just, he was just a, a man taking care of some sheep when God called him to lead the people of Israel, uh, a million-plus people, uh, through, uh, out of Egypt and through the world. He didn't have a clue. He was relying upon God. He said, God, I can't do this. I need you to show me where to go. Listen, we need God to show us where to go. The Bible says this, uh, 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's not just a, a, a book. It's not even just a good book. It is the word of God given to us that we might live thereby. And it, it should be our everything. But many times we look at it, we read it, and say those are good thoughts, those are good principles, but we never really apply those thoughts and principles to our life. James says this, that we're not to be a, a forgetful hearer of the word, deceiving our own selves. There are a lot of people that, that they know what the Bible says, they know what, the, what it says is right and how they should live, but I'm okay. I don't really need to do that. Or, or we pretend, right? That, that's hip. That's a hypocrite. And it's, at times we're all hypocrites, let's be honest. None of us are perfect. A lot of times we'll put on a face that isn't, isn't real, but God sees our hearts, right? We deceive our own selves. But it goes on to say that we're to become a, not just a, a, a not, we're not to be a forgetful, forgetful hearer of the word, but we're to be a doer, and I love this part, of the work. I just noticed that this, this week. We're to be a doer of the work. Now, it also says doer of the word in one of the other verses. But uh, the, the idea is, in that, in that passage, is that this is the mirror by which we are to examine ourselves. Not that we're to examine other people, but that we're to examine ourselves. And in the light of God's word, we see the work that needs to be done. And it is work. Is that not right? Now, imagine this. You get up in the morning, and you look in the mirror, and you say... Hair's a mess. My teeth. There's still some of my food left in my teeth from last night. <laughs> Whoa, that's awful. Ladies wiping the, the still got makeup left on their face from the night before. Didn't wash it well enough. Guys got zits and everything. You're like, I'm good. And walk out the door. None of you would do that. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. Most of us wouldn't do that. There might be some that would. We'd walk out without doing the work. But we look at the Word of God, and God reveals to us our own imperfections, our own sin. We're to be a doer of the work. Now, my hair doesn't take very long. For the riches takes even less. Right? It doesn't take very long to comb my hair. In fact, I take a little bit of the gel stuff and put it in my hair. I'm done in like 30 seconds. But this beard, it takes time. Now, it's an awesome beard, and I'm... I'm okay with that. I'm okay with putting in the work to get this beard. Now, there are people who say, you should have shaved that off. I believe it was one of the little girls, Anastasia, saw me with the beard, and she, she was scared because my beard was scary. And then uh, uh, I believe Melissa showed her a picture of me without a beard, and she said it was even scarier. So um, I'll just keep the beard, and I'll put in the work. It takes time. Ladies, it takes work, does it not? To put on the makeup, to cover whatever blemishes you've got. I'm not saying you have blemishes. Don't, get, don't misread what I'm saying. It takes work. Every husband will acknowledge that it takes work for their wife. And every wife will say the same thing about their husband because it takes work on both of our parts. It takes work. It takes work. When we look into the Word of God, now listen, uh, we, we think it's some magical pill, right? Uh, some, some switch. God just to take away the desire to sin in my life. Uh, help me to, to never sin again. And, and Lord, help me to do this. It takes work on our part. We're told, we're told in Ephesians to put off the old man, to put on the new man. It's work on our part. If there's something that you struggle with, some, some sin in your life, listen, set it aside. Realize that that is an affront to God and it breaks your fellowship. Set it aside. 
They ground up that idol, and they, they, they got rid of it. They threw it away. They set it aside, and they began to follow and worship God. They wanted the presence of God in their life. Moses said, if you're not going to go with, with us, don't, don't send us up. Are you willing to do the work it takes to have the presence of God in your life? It may, it may take some time for you to set aside some things that you've got to set aside that, 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 that are hindrances, that will break fellowship. You may have to set aside some things that aren't even necessarily sinful, but, 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 but they are, uh, they are uh, obstructive. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul says that, uh, that, that we're to, to, to set a, cast aside besetting sin, but there's also the weights, right? Those things that slow us down. Why? Because we need... We should have a hunger and desire for the fellowship of God in our life. Listen, we need to rebuild the altar of fellowship. We need to seek the presence of God on a daily basis. He leads, our, he leads us throughout our life. Look back to Exodus chapter 33. He said, show me now, now thy way, verse 13, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider this, that this nation is thy people. Now notice it says, in verse 14, he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will not give thee and I will give thee rest. And he said, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Notice verse 16. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? This is important. So shall we be separate, or separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. He said, the thing that separates us from everybody else is your presence. He recognized that they could have gone into the promised land, that they could have had all that, that God had promised, and if they did not have the presence of God, they wouldn't have been any different than anybody else. Did you under, do you understand that you can live your life, you can go to church, you can, you can, you can uh, do, do all the things, work your job, raise your family, uh, all those things, and you don't have the presence of God, you're not any different. Did you know there are atheist churches now? It sounds like a, it sounds ridiculous, but they, they meet together because they des they desire fellowship, right? They they desire to they they desire some kind of encouragement or exhortation, so they bring in atheist speakers who talk about how they can help themselves. I'm not making this up. You can go to clubs. You can join the Calumet Club if you're if you're French. You can you can join the Elk Club. You can join you can join all kinds of clubs and get fellowship and and, and help and, and 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 brotherhood. I was a firefighter for for, for several years and, and and listen, there was a brotherhood, there was a closeness, a connection because of that thing that united us. But listen, as a child of God, the things that makes us different is is the presence of God in our lives. And you can live your life without it, but it will be an unfulfilled life. You'll be just like everybody else. I don't want to become content with that. I can get up here and preach without the presence of God. I, I, I'm sad to say there have been times when that's happened. I'm ashamed of that. Where you come up and in the flesh, whether it's uh, sin or, 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 or just my mind not in the right place. Or, listen, that can happen to any preacher, any pastor, anywhere. But it can also happen to you. You can come to church and not be in the presence of God. I mean, God is all, can be all over this place and not speak to you because you're stiff-necked and hard-hearted because of sin in your life, because you have not put in the work to, to have fellowship with God. You cannot have fellowship with God once a week. It's not how God created us. If you want true fellowship with God when you come to church, you need to be having fellowship with God on Monday and Tuesday 
and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. See, those that are sick and at home, they can have fellowship with God not even being here. I praise God for that. I thank God for that, that we don't have to come together because it, it can be hard to, at times to, to, to get everybody together. You can have fellowship with God all by yourself as you read your Bible, as you pray, as you seek God's face. But you've got to put in the work. You've got to put in the work. Don't get used to living that life. Don't get used to living that life. Verse 18, Moses says this. He says, and he said, Moses speaking to God, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now here Moses, Moses is in the presence of God. God is speaking to him, the word the Bible tells us here in this passage, face to face as a man with his friend. He is, God is speaking to him, but he has a desire for more. He has a desire for more. He's not, he's not content with just having the presence of God in the camp. He's not content in just having God speak to him as a friend. He had a desire to know God better. He had a desire to see more of God than he has already seen. And listen, as, as children of God, that should be our hunger. That should be our desire that no matter where we're at in our Christian walk, how, how much we have matured, how much we have grown, how much we have already seen God do, we should have a desire to see God more. To see God work in our services. To see God work in our lives. To see God work in our devotions. Uh, that God would reveal himself to us in his glory. And I want you to understand, he says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, I can't show you my glory because no man can see my face and live. But I'm here to tell you, you can see the glory of God. And we see it in his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, and he is the brightness of God's glory. The express image of of his countenance, his face. When we see Christ, we see the glory of God. But listen, the, the, those disciples, they walked with him for three and a half years. And there, there were many people that followed him, and they watched the miracles. They, 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 they received some of those things. But there were only a few times where they saw the glory of God. If you remember when, when, when uh, Peter is in the boat, and, and God told him to cast his nets down, and he cast down a net and, and brought up the fishes, and he, he, he fell on his knees before God and says, I am a sinful man, O Lord, depart from me. Why? Because he saw, for a moment, the glory of God. He saw that Jesus was God. When, when, when the men walked down the road to Emmaus after Christ had died and risen again, and they didn't know that he had risen. They, they had heard of it, but they, they, they were discussing it amongst themselves. They were walking with this man. They didn't know who he was. And they stopped at their home, and they invited him to sit down and eat, and he ate with them. He bowed his head to pray. And when he bowed his head to pray, the Bible says, their eyes were opened to who he was. And when he said amen, they lifted up their eyes, and they were probably excited, it's Jesus, but he was gone. And they looked at each other and said, did our hearts not burn within us? What had happened? The glory of God was revealed to them. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and God, uh, he, he was in his glorified body for, for that short period of time, and, and Elijah was there, and Moses was there, and Peter says, Peter says, oh, it's so good for us to be here. We get to see the glory of God. Listen, it was revealed to them in those times. And it's revealed to us as we can look back. We don't see him with our eyes. We see him in faith. We can see the glory of God. We should have a hunger to know him, and we come to know him as is revealed to us in his word, as we fellowship with him. Listen, we, you can spend your life reading the Bible, 
You can spend your life learning what it says, but there, there needs to be fellowship. If you read it in, a, in, a, in an educational fashion, trying to, 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 to just to gain knowledge, that's not fellowship, folks. There needs to be fellowship. And as we read it to get to know him, God reveals himself to us, shows us who he is. There's nothing greater than the presence of God in our lives. Nothing that draws us closer than when he opens up our eyes to meet with us. How's your walk with the Lord? How's your walk? Are you spending time in the Word? Are, are you truly fellowshipping with, with the Lord? There have been times in my life where I've gone to, 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 to different meetings, and, and man, God has just worked and moved, and I've come back excited, stirred. And then after a week, I'm right back to where I was before. Why? God was moving. It was real. I, I, and I'm not talking about the feeling. Man, I, I was closer to God. But something happened. I lost my hunger. I, lost, I stopped saying, God, show me your glory. Now, there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 25 talking about the, the dross being removed from the silver. And when the dross is removed from the silver, it produces, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, it produces a, a, a piece for the refiner. See, when, when, when God begins to stir, whether it's revival, whether it's trials, when there's a, a there's a change that takes place. God likens it to, to uh, silver because when you have silver, it's impure when you get it out of the ground. And you have to put it in a refining fire. You have to put gold in a furnace, right? And it heats it up. And, and what happens? The impurities or the dross comes to the surface. Now you have a, a period of time to then scoop that off. Because if you don't and you take that out of the fire, what happens to, to metal when it gets cold again? It gets hard. So if that, as, as, the, as that silver is heated and those things come to the top, if you do not take the dross from it, that, that there's still impurities in that, and it's not worthy of being used as a, as, as, as a, as a vessel. The refiner will say, no, that's not, that's not, there's impurities. I can't use that. So what you do is you take that off. And then it can be presented to the refiner as he, as he makes whatever bowl, cup, whatever he needs to out of it, out of pure silver or gold. God does the same thing with us, whether it's through trial or through revival. He, there is a, a heat, a fire in our lives. And listen, if you were here this last week, uh, I don't believe you could have been here without uh, the Spirit of God and the conviction of God moving in your heart. It, it worked in my heart. It worked. I, I, the, the altars were full. Uh, uh, many people came down and made decisions or, 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 or were seeking it. God was working in our hearts. But if that dross isn't removed, if those changes aren't made, what happens? Our hearts grow hard again. I have made commitment after commitment growing up. God, I'm going to do this for you. God, I'm going to stop this. God, I, God, I, I just, I, I, these are the commitments I've made. And then I made the commitment, but I didn't follow through. And once the fire of the stirring of God in my heart cooled down, guess what was still there? 
whatever it was I promised God I wasn't going to do anymore, whatever it was that I promised God I would, uh, the dross was still there, and I never changed. God spoke to your heart this week. God moved you. God revealed some sin in your life. If you don't make the changes in your life that God revealed to you, guess what? You'll let the fire go out and our hearts will harden and we'll be just the same as we always were. I don't want to be content with that. I don't. I spent more time in prayer. Why? Because I want the presence of God in my life. I spent more time in the Word. Well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to read the Bible. Of course I'm supposed to read the Bible. We're all supposed to read the Bible. But I spent more time in that, more time in study. Why? Because it's important. And I want the presence of God, not just in my life, but in my preaching. I have been seeking God day after day after day. Now, if I stop, what's going to happen? I'll break that fellowship. I don't want to break that fellowship. I want the presence of God in my, in my life. How about you? What, what commitments did you make to the Lord this week? Have you followed through? While, 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 the, while the iron was hot, while the, while, while the silver was hot, did, did you scrape off that dross? Sometimes there's practical things that need to be done. Well, I want to re read my Bible more, but I just don't, I don't, don't have the time. Get up earlier. Well, you don't understand. I'm tired. I understand tired. I had sleep apnea for seven years. Uh, I understand tired. There, was, there were times when I would drive to the church to come to work, to come to study, and I'd fall asleep in my car before I ever got out. I'd say, that's not safe to drive. It probably wasn't. Praise the God, he kept me safe. I understand tired. Go to bed earlier. Well, you don't understand, I've got, I've got children to take care of. I understand that. Children take time. But do you know the greatest thing for your children would be to see you in your Bible and hear you pray? So they don't hear us teach them to do those things. They learn by our example. My daughter came in yesterday. I was, I was praying for the services today. And I was asking God to do a work, and I, 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 my, my door burst open, and I hear Hannah, oh, sorry. I'm not saying that to try to brag. That's okay. She felt bad about it. I didn't. She didn't interrupt me. I wasn't talking to her. Uh, listen, but what she got to see was that what I say up here is real back there and everywhere else. How's your walk? Is the presence of God in your life, or are, or are you content to live without it? So, well, he's in me. He is. Is he quenched? Is he grieved? In Psalm chapter 78, you don't need to turn there. In Psalm 78, the psalmist says this, that Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. How could they limit God? By their sin and their unbelief. God would have done so much more for them. Would have worked in so many other ways, but they were content to complain and murmur and to be in their sin. Instead of doing what God said to do. God said, if you follow my ways, if you follow my commandments, if you do these things, I will bless you. 
the, the, those verses in Hebrew, or sorry, James chapter four, where or James chapter one, where it says that we're to do, be a doer of the work. It says that we are blessed in our deed. You want to be blessed in your deed, in your life, in your work? Be obedient to the word of God. I'm not saying that's going to give you a raise at work. I'm saying it'll give you joy. Why? Because the presence of God will be on you. We need the presence of God more than we need anything else. Because with his presence comes the protection and the provision. It sets us apart from everybody else. Because other people look at us and say, there's something different about them. It's not just the way that they dress or the way they talk. God's called us to be a peculiar people, a chosen, particularly for him. We are his people. We're to be different. Because his presence 